Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In question two of Summa Theologia Prima Secundae, Thomas Aquinas is considering a number of different candidates for the status of what would be human happiness, what human happiness would consist in. And one of the candidates that he considers right away in the first article is wealth. And wealth can be understood to encompass a lot of stuff. We're going to see that he makes a very important distinction between natural and artificial wealth. We typically would tend to think of wealth as the amount of money that we have, say, in our savings accounts or in hand as cash. But wealth includes property. It includes income, you know, the possibility of future wealth. It includes all sorts of other things. So you could say, does happiness consist in money or its equivalents and the property that we have, our external goods? And as usual, Thomas considers some arguments for that before rejecting that position in in the objections. And, And these are actually quite interesting ones, well worth dwelling on for a moment. Why might people think that wealth really is happiness? We know that there are people who in Thomas's own time, in the time of Aristotle that he refers to, in our own time, they do think that money is happiness. It doesn't just buy happiness for them. It is the measure of happiness. The more money you have, the the happier you are. So why might people think this? And he says that, well, one might think this because happiness is our last end. It must consist in that which has the greatest hold on human affections. And in Ecclesiastes, so we're already talking like biblical times now, it says all things obey money. And this is a a prevalent point of view, is it not? In saying that all things obey money, it's saying that everybody will exchange money for whatever else it is because they want money more. It has the greatest hold on human affections. So then presumably it's the highest good. Another is that money can substitute for whatever it is that you want. And I think there's quite a few people who like the idea of being able to purchase for themselves anything that they need. I'll give you an example. You know, people go on vacation and maybe they're going to travel super light. They just take their credit card with them so that whatever they need, they can buy there. It buys not only goods, but also convenience. So he says that, According to Boethius, happiness is a state of life made perfect by the aggregate of all good things. Money seems to be a means of possessing all things. So happiness then would consist in wealth. A third interesting point that Thomas is going to turn on its head is that the desire for money seems to be unlimited. And so he points out, since the desire for the sovereign good, whatever is the highest good, never fails, it seems to be infinite, unlimited, right? But this is the case with riches more than anything else. And he brings up, again, a biblical passage from Ecclesiastes again. A covetous man shall not be satisfied with riches. But he could also bring up all sorts of points from moral philosophers from ancient times and medieval times who also note that the funny thing about money is it's supposed to like make us satisfied with feeling secure and being happy and having all the property and wealth that we want. But people who really 
want money the most are never happy with the amount that they have. So that seems to point towards a kind of infinite or unlimited desire. It must be the sovereign good. Now, Thomas is not going to attack these directly at first. He's going to consider a distinction that Aristotle makes, which he wants to elaborate more fully. And he tells us that wealth is twofold. He says, as the philosopher says, the philosopher, of course, is Aristotle. There's natural wealth. And what makes something natural wealth is that it serves humans as remedies for what he calls natural needs in Latin, ad defectus naturales tolendos. It takes away natural lacks or defects or, or whatever it is that we want to translate defectus naturales as. We could translate it as needs, wants, those sorts of things. And he gives us examples. Food, right? You're hungry. You have a natural need, you eat, drink, clothing. And now we get to other interesting things, cars. Now he doesn't mean of course, automobiles. He means things like carriages or carts or chariots or things like that, right? They supply us with the ability to have greater mobility, to move things from place to place. So it's not just what, you know, the raw human being in a pure state of nature is imagined by later philosophers would need. It's what do we need as human beings, you know, to get around. We need shoes to walk around as well. You know, we, when it's cold, we need certain kinds of clothing. These are all there to supply that. He also talks about dwellings. Then he talks about artificial wealth. Artificial wealth does not directly help satisfy these needs or take away these defects, but rather it's invented, as he says, in order to make things easier in some way. So it's invented in the cases that Thomas talks about in order to facilitate exchange and thereby allow us to satisfy our needs more appropriately. So he talks about money making exchange convenient, right? I can give you a dollar bill instead of having to give you so many snap peas for the, the iPod that you're going to give me. Imagine if we did everything on a barter system, how long everything would take. It also allows us to measure things and that's convenient as well. So artificial wealth is things like money or all the other things that we talk about as in these days as financial instruments, right? Your retirement plan that includes, you know, some sort of real estate holding that isn't actually owned by you, but is owned by the retirement plan itself or the stocks that you might own. Those are artificial wealth, right? An IOU, somebody handing you an IOU, unless it says IOU, you know, a back rub or a can of beans or something like that. If it says IOU money, that's artificial wealth, right? So Thomas says, if we make this distinction, this helps us understand why money can't be happiness. Well, why do we want natural wealth? It's for the sake of some end. It's not to have it for its own sake. We want food so we can eat it so we won't be hungry. And we might also want it because we, you know, we like certain kinds of food and all of that, but we want the food for the eating. We want the car for the driving. If we think that those things are happiness itself, we're actually quite stupid from, from a Thomistic perspective because we're mistaking ends and means. And if that's the case for natural goods, for natural wealth, it's even more so for artificial wealth. That is definitely not going to be the end of everything, right? It says wealth is sought for the sake of something else. Support of human nature cannot be the last end. 
Artificial wealth is not sought save for the sake of natural wealth, since a human being would not seek it except because by its means he procures for himself the necessaries of life. Now, of course, there are people who get so mixed up that they think that it's more important to have gold coins or dollar bills or numbers in, in a ledger or something like that. But that's just a sign of how mistaken they are about what would actually make them happy and what makes other people happy. So in considering the objections, Thomas, in his, his responses to them, makes some other distinctions. So some people do, in fact, have a, this great desire for money. It has the greatest hold on their affections. Thomas says, well, sure, but that's because they're fools. They are lacking in prudence. They are in sapientes, right? The sapiens, the person who's in the know, realizes that money isn't something that you should desire as much as other things because money is just a means to other things. So if we make the distinction between the wise and the fools, then we can decide whose judgment actually is valuable. Another thing too, money can be exchanged for many things. It cannot be exchanged for everything. You know, we say, well, money can't buy you love because of the song, right? Money can buy you a certain kind of love, but it can't buy you genuine affection. And it can't buy you other, as Thomas is going to say, spiritual goods. It's not like you can buy your way to heaven or, you know, buy yourself a virtue or anything like that. You could buy yourself a life coach to help you develop a virtue. That's true. But then you have to actually put in the work. And if you don't put in the work, it doesn't matter how much you spend. You're not actually going to have the spiritual good. A lot of things are for sale, but it's a mistake to think that everything is for sale. Finally, the issue about infinite desire. Thomas says, yeah, some people do in fact have an infinite desire for money or for, for, for wealth, but it's only for artificial wealth. And it's going to be because they're, they're fools and they get caught into a kind of cycle. He says the desire for natural riches is not infinite. They suffice for nature in a certain measure. The desire for artificial wealth is infinite for it's the servant of, as he says, a disordered concupiscence, disordered desire for goods, which is not curbed. And he says this desire for wealth is infinite otherwise than the desire for the sovereign good. The more perfectly the sovereign, the highest good is possessed, the more it's loved and other things despised. So the closer we are to, to what is genuinely making us happy, the less we're going to value wealth. The more that we value wealth, perhaps infinitely, the more it's a sign of our disordered desires. The fact that we have something wrong inside of ourselves and it's not something to be celebrated in Thomas's view. Now you could uh, make an objection. Well, wait a second. What about people who buy like a thousand pairs of shoes and they, you know, they fill up an entire walk-in closet with them. Those are things that we would call natural wealth. Thomas doesn't consider this here, but it's possible for a person to transform natural wealth into artificial wealth. You know, obviously you can't wear a thousand pairs of shoes or wear a thousand suits or anything like that. It's the idea of what that is providing for them. It substitutes for a certain kind of artificial wealth in their minds. And so it moves from the natural into the artificial. You might say the same thing about people who are hoarders and keep all sorts of worthless junk. That's clearly not even natural goods anymore. And if you try to take it away from them, there's some sort of psychological need that interferes with that. Be that as it may, Thomas is making this, this very clear point that not only can wealth not buy us happiness in the genuine sense, it's not happiness. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>